0: Welcome to another inspirational message from Chowdean Community Church, Gateshead. For more information about Chowdean, visit www.chowdean.org.uk. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Right, well this is the third in our Advent series. And the speakers have all been asked to speak about something which leads up to the Christmas story. Because, you know, as the children have been saying, Advent is about arrival and it's about preparing for the arrival of all those Christmas festivities. But when I was thinking and praying about what to speak about, the story of the wise men, the magi, was going round in my head. And I thought, that's not really an Advent message because that happened after Christmas. But it is a traditional part of the Nativity story, so I thought I would just keep going with it. Now, this story is only found in Matthew's Gospel. It's not found anywhere else. So I've asked Seth if he would just read us the story of the wise men.
1: After Jesus was born in Bethlehem village, Judah territory, this was during Herod's kingship a band of scholars arrived in Jerusalem from the east. They asked around, Where can we find and pay homage to the newborn King of the Jews? We observed a star in the eastern sky that signaled his birth. We are on a pilgrimage to worship him. When the word of their inquiry got to Herod, He was terrified. And not Herod alone, but most of Jerusalem as well. Herod lost no time. He gathered all the high priests and religion scholars in the city together and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? They told him, Bethlehem, Judah Territory. The prophet Micah wrote it plainly. It is you, Bethlehem, in Judah's land, no longer bringing up the rear. From you will come the leader who will shepherd rule my people, my Israel. Herod then arranged a secret meeting with the scholars from the east, pretending to be as devout as they were he got them to tell tell him exactly when the birth announcement star appeared. Then he told them the prophecy about Bethlehem and said, Go find this child. Leave no stone unturned. As soon as you find him, send word, and I'll join you at once in your worship. Instructed by the king, they set off. Then the star appeared again. The same star they had seen in the eastern skies. It led them on until it hovered over the place of the child. They could hardly contain themselves. They were in the right place. They had arrived at the right time they entered the house and saw the child in the arms of Mary, his mother. Overcome! They kneeled and worshipped him. They opened their luggage and presented gifts. Gold, frankincense, myrrh. In a dream... They were warned not to report back to Herod, so they worked out another route, left the territory without being seen, and returned to their own country. After the scholars were gone, God's angel showed up again in Joseph's dream and commanded, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt Stay until further notice. Herod is on the hunt for this child and wants to kill him. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother under cover of darkness. They were out of town and well on their way by daylight. They lived in Egypt until Herod's death. This Egyptian exile Fulfilled what Hosea had preached. I called my son out of Egypt. Herod, when he realized that the scholars had tricked him, flew into a rage. He commanded the murder of every little boy, two years old and under, who lived in Bethlehem and the surrounding hills. He determined that age from the information he'd got from the scholars. That's when Jeremiah's sermon was fulfilled. A sound was heard in Ramah, weeping and much lament. Rachel weeping for her children. Rachel refusing all solace. Her children gone, dead and buried. Later, when Herod died, God's angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Up, take the child and his mother and return to Israel. All those out to murder the child are dead. Joseph obeyed. He got up, took the child and his mother and re-entered Israel. When he heard... Though that Archias had succeeded his father Herod as king of Judah, he was afraid to go there. But then Joseph was directed in a dream to go to the hills of Galilee. On arrival, he settled in the village of Nazareth. This move was a fulfillment of the prophetic words, He shall be
0: called a Nazarene. I initially thought that this passage would be really easy to talk about. I mean, it's such a familiar story to us all. But actually separating what is myth and folklore and tradition and legend from the actual truth of the Bible proved to be much more difficult than I had at first imagined. The more I looked at it, it seemed that I had more questions than I had answers. Now, those of you who've been around this church for a while... Will recall that for a number of years we staged a church pantomime called Aladdin a Manger, which was a cross between a nativity play and a pantomime. Now, who can forget our worship leader, Paul Oliver, as the wicked king Herod? I mean, Herod. And Corrine, as the angel, the angel Charlie, if I remember rightly, having a duel on stage with light, the lightsabers from Star Wars. That was a highlight. Now, over the years, the wise men were dressed as cowboys, then rappers with lots of gold blades, and then lastly, I think they were sort of gangsters with black shirts and white ties and trilby hats, and their song went, three wise guys, three wise guys, led by a star, led by a star, and if you're wondering who we are, we're Casper, we're Melchior, we're Balthazar, we're... Three wise guys. Three wise guys. And there were some classic lines like, I bring him myrrh, myrrh than anybody else. And I think it was Malcolm's line, I bring him frankincense. That's like ordinary incense, but less tactful. Frank incense. And I expect that most of us have gone to school nativity plays or even appeared in them. And we've all seen scenes like these three making their way across the desert. We've even got it on our church invitations this year. Or cards like these lavishly dressed men where they're coming with with presenting their gifts. And it's traditional, but it's not actually what the Bible says. First of all, there was no mention of there being three of them. It probably came from the fact that three gifts are mentioned and they didn't have names, Casper, Melchior and Balthazar, that's a legend and that's not in the Bible. Scholars believe that there could have been as many as 12 of them and they were very rich and learned men. They would have traveled with bodyguards. They weren't bringing all that treasure without bodyguards and servants. So there was a very large number of them traveling together. So it was no wonder they caused a bit of a stir when they arrived in Jerusalem. Now some commentaries say that there were astronomers men who studied the position of stars and planets. And other commentaries suggest that they were astrologers, men who predicted the future using star signs and horoscopes, which obviously the Bible would not condone. However, Bishop Tom Wright said that in the ancient world, the two were one. The wise men were both astronomers and astrologers. But what the Bible does tell us is that they were guided on their journey by a star. Now, they believed that all things, heavenly and earthly, were interconnected. If something important happened among the stars, it meant that something important was happening on the Earth. And in those days, there were no streetlights and no pollution, so the stars seemed much brighter. I remember when Colin and I lived in Africa for a year, the skies at night were magical, like filled with tiny diamonds. Now, scholars over the centuries have tried to determine what could have happened in the skies at that time that attracted the attention of these learned men. And the only thing they've been able to discover was that in 7 BC, Jupiter and Saturn were in conjunction with each other three times in one year. Jupiter is the kingly planet and Saturn is associated with the Jewish nation. So they could have come to the conclusion that a king was to be born in Israel. 7 BC seems a bit early, but I thought, well, perhaps it took them a while to come to an agreement about it, and then they had to pack all their stuff, and then they had to make the journey. Perhaps it really doesn't matter too much how many there were or when they arrived. The important thing is that these men, who are probably from modern-day Iran, although we're not sure, is that they were philosophers. Academics, scientists, the intellectuals of their day, the finest minds of that time. And I find that very encouraging because just occasionally, now and again, for a moment or two, I might have doubts about the truth of what we believe. It seems absurd that God, the creator of the entire universe, every star and every planet, everything that we can see, absolutely everything is held together in him, that this God could become a baby in the womb of a human mother. And that baby would grow to be a man and being both fully God and fully human could die on a cross to take on himself the sins of the world. The punishment that each one of us deserves was laid on Jesus so that we might be reconciled to God. Now, if you try to work that out with a rational mind, it seems like an impossibility. And yet, throughout history, and still today, wise men, great thinkers, people much cleverer than me, have come to the conclusion that the Bible is true. And impossible though it may seem, this is the truth. And I have to say that since I gave my life to Christ, I can only say I've proved it works. That's all I can say. In practice, it works. God is true to his word. And to be honest, what is the alternative? That we all happened by accident, and there's no hope for the future, and that there's nothing after this life. Now, we don't lose our brains when we become Christians, and we do have to be able to give a reason for what we believe But God made it possible for all men to come to him because it's by faith. It's faith in his son, the Lord Jesus. Peace with God is available to the wisest of men and to the simplest of folk with no education at all. And that makes it really fair. You don't have to be really clever. Anybody can come because it's by faith. It's level ground at the foot of the cross. We're all equal and we all come by faith. Now there is some uncertainty as to when the Magi actually arrived, and certainly when you see pictures of the shepherds and the kings in the cell together, that again is tradition and not truth. The Magi certainly did not get there in time to boil the water for the baby's birth. In the Orthodox churches, Epiphany, which is the festival of the arrival of the Magi, is celebrated on the 6th of January. And an epiphany means an appearing or a manifestation, especially of a deity. And this was the first time that Jesus was revealed to Gentile people, people who were not of the Jewish faith. Up until that point, everybody involved in the Christmas story was Jewish. Now, we know that Jesus was 40 days old when his parents took him up to the temple in Jerusalem for the rite of purification. That's because we know that from the book of Leviticus. They had to offer a prescribed sacrifice for their firstborn son, which would be a lamb. Now, as Sam mentioned to us last week, if you were really poor and you couldn't afford the lamb, then you could offer two doves instead. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. They offered two birds. Now, if at that point they had had the gifts from the magi, if they'd already had those gifts, they could have afforded to buy a lamb. So we have to assume that when Jesus was 40 days old, those magi had not yet arrived. Verse 11 of what Seth read to us tells us that they came to a house, not a stable, and they saw the child, not a baby. Plus, we know that the King Herod mentioned here was Herod the Great, and he died early 4 BC. It's believed that Jesus was born in late 5 BC or early 4 BC, which sounds a bit daft when you think about it because it means before Christ, but the dates are a little bit confused. It doesn't alter the truth, and the significance of what happened. But it was probably when Jesus was a year or two old that the Magi came. These important men had travelled over a thousand miles, and although pictures show them standing with one gift each, it's more likely that there was much, much more. Not just a few coins, a stick of incense and a bottle of myrrh. The Bible says they opened their treasures, chests and sacks full of treasures because they regarded the baby as royalty. And the gifts themselves were symbolic. Gold represents the kingship of Jesus, that he is king of all kings. Frankincense, a perfumed resin used in the perfume of the temple sanctuary. And burning incense was regarded as an act of worship. So this gift recognized Jesus as God, as one to be worshipped. And myrrh, this is a gum or a sap from a tree grown in Africa and Asia and was often used in embalming So this gift foretells Jesus' death. And we need always to remember that Jesus did not just die and remain buried. He was and is and always will be prophet, priest and king. If he'd remained in the tomb, it would have proved nothing. But he didn't. Jesus rose from the grave. He defeated death and he is still alive. And we too can have eternal life if we believe in him and confess him as Lord. As well as that gold, frankincense and myrrh, the Magi brought a fourth gift. We read that when they saw the child, they bowed down and worshipped. Perhaps they came seeking a king, but when they got there and they saw him, they knew that he was God. And to God, that was the only gift that mattered. The God who owns all of creation didn't need gifts, but what he desires from each one of us is our love freely given and our worship. However, these gifts did have a practical purpose. Herod, the ruling king, was very insecure. He thought nothing of murdering his brother-in-law, his uncle, his wife, his three sons, when he felt that they threatened his throne. So we can see why he was thrown into a panic when these rich men arrived asking about a newborn king And Herod was so afraid that he determined to find the child and have him killed. So Joseph was warned in a dream to take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, which was a journey of about 40 miles. Now those gifts, the gold, the frankincense myrrh, would provide not only for their travel costs, but also for their stay in Egypt, their return journey not to Bethlehem but to Nazareth, which was a journey of about 106 miles. God made sure that the resources were available for Mary and Joseph to protect the life of his son and to take care of all their practical needs. Now, our God is a generous God who does provide for his people. When Colin and I lost our business and our home, we lived for a while on state benefit. Now, while Colin wasn't working, he volunteered at a homeless charity in the city. Now, one of his tasks was to go to a branch of Marks and Spencers at closing time on a Saturday evening, collect the leftover food, and take it to the storage unit of the charity. Now, the charity needed the bread, the sandwiches, the fruit, and the vegetables, but they had no use for ready meals or puddings, so Colin was allowed to bring some home. So every Saturday night, I'd be sitting waiting to see what Colin was going to bring home for dinner. And I just think, you know, God... All those years that we were unemployed, we ate Marks and Spencers food and had enough left over to share with other people at church the next day. God provided for us very generously. And God also provides for us very specifically. Now this story I'm going to tell you now might sound a bit trivial, but I'm gonna tell you exactly how it happened and let you make your own minds up about it. Obviously, when we were out of work, we couldn't afford a holiday. But some friends from church had booked a holiday and then couldn't go. So they very kindly gave us this holiday at a lovely hotel near Cheshire. It had a lovely swimming pool and a smart dining room. But when we unpacked, I realized that I'd forgotten my blow-drying hairbrush. I had shorter hair, and I thought, if I go swimming every day... I'm not going to look my best in the evening because you can't get your hair right if you haven't got a blow-drying brush. But really, it's not a major issue. Colin offered to drive to a town, and I said, oh, no, no, it's not that important. He'd just driven all the way to the hotel. I didn't want him going back out again. So after I'd finished the unpacking, I decided to have a look around the grounds. And instead of sticking to the paths, I decided to walk across the grass. So I'm walking across the grass, and they're lying in the grass, was a blow-drying hairbrush. Now, what are the odds against that happening? I can tell you, I took it back to the room, I gave it a good wash, and I gave thanks to a very generous Heavenly Father. Anyway, back to the story. The wise men arrive in Jerusalem, ask Herod where the baby is, and are directed to Bethlehem. Now, what I find fascinating, the Bible says that the same star that led them to Jerusalem was over the house in Bethlehem, the same star. Now you can see from this map that Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem and stars travel from east to west that don't go from north to south. But God is the primary mover in this story and surely the one who made the heavens and the earth can move a star sideways if he chooses to. Because we see God guiding all the way Through dreams, angels, stars, there's a supernatural element in this story all the way through. After the Magi had worshipped the Christ child, they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod. They were called to travel on a different road. And that is true for each one of us. After we meet with Jesus, after we see him, we travel through life a different way. Nothing can be the same from then on. When they'd gone, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and told him to take the child and his mother into hiding in Egypt until the danger was past. And Herod was so furious about being outwitted by the Magi that he ordered the killing of all the baby boys under the age of two. And I have to say that I was puzzled. Why allow the death of all those little boys? Why Egypt? Egypt was a pagan nation a place where the Israelites had previously been enslaved. But perhaps God knew that Herod was likely to look for them in Egypt. Sometimes the ways of God don't always make sense to us. Things don't always turn out the way we expect them to, which is why I chose the title for this sermon, The View from Heaven. If we could just see things the way God sees them, then we might understand Now I've got a very, very short video to show you, but what I'll explain is it's a pile of junk. It's a wheelbarrow tipped up on its side, it's a chair tipped over, it's a violin suspended, it's a back of a sofa, and then other bits of scrap metal. But wait till you see it from the artist's perspective. I'll just see if I can get it. Can you pause it there, Deb? Can I pause? You can see it's a wheelbarrow and a chair in the back of a sofa. Uh, Clever, isn't it? It's just junk in a row. But when it's, when you see it through that picture like that it's a face and i think perhaps right now your life seems a bit like that pile of junk but if we had the view from heaven if we could get the artist's perspective on that we would know that god's grace is sufficient for us in whatever situation we find ourselves in god has still got it all under control And we just have to trust that God sees the bigger picture. He loves us. And in the end, it is all going to be okay. This is the end of this message. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to find out more about our church, please visit www.chowdean.org.uk And please take a minute to rate our podcast on iTunes.